Just a real quick uh, pronunciation of your last name. Seebeck. Seebeck. All right. I'm going to just uh, introduce you then and we'll get right Good rolling. call, because that one, that one is a very, very <laughs> mispronounced off the time. <laughs> Listening to Cobras and Fire, a Pantheon podcast. And today, Bacos Plus One is Josh Seebeck from the Welcome to 1979 recording studio in Nashville. It's all about vinyl mastering today, people. It's going to get geeky. Sit back and enjoy. Well, welcome to Cobras and Fire. My name is Baco. Today, my plus one comes to me from the Welcome to 1979 recording studio in Nashville, Tennessee. I'd like to welcome Josh Seebeck to the show. Josh, uh, why not do this for me? What's your official title there at uh, Welcome to 1979? Do you have one? Sure, and thanks for having me. Um, so, officially, I am a staff mastering engineer and vinyl mastering engineer at uh, Welcome to 1979. And today we'll get into a handful of things, but largely centered around vinyl mastering was uh, the topic I du jour I wanted to, to get into it with you a little bit. Um, why don't we just? Um, I have like a cursory knowledge of mastering. You know, I, I've I've been in a band. I've recorded a few records, Sweet. so I know I know where the step is and stuff. But there's there's a ton of stuff, especially when it comes to vinyl mastering, that that I think you can kind of open the eyes to a lot of the people that listen to the show. We. Over the eight years of doing this show, one kind of recurring topic that comes up is vinyl on from everything from collecting to buying latest, latest releases to shitty sounding pressings versus good sounding pressings. So <laughs> uh, hopefully you can kind of add some insight to that. So let's start with just sure. a basic. Just, how would you define mastering? All right. So you got to forgive me because this is going to be like the nerdiest thing ever. Oh, perfect. This yeah. whole conversation. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So no apology needed. Oh, well, let's do it. So mastering as a whole is essentially the end of the creative process and the start of the distribution process. So we are helping, you know, your, your record's been produced, recorded, mixed. Now we're, you know, you've got everything cohesively together. You're going to send me your stereo wave files if you're doing Atmos, whatever, like whatever your final deliverable is kind of going to be is you're going to send that to me. And I'm essentially going to everybody thinks this job is make it loud. And that's like maybe five, 10 percent of the job. What it really is is quality control. That's the most important piece of the of the puzzle. It's the last and final time that you're ever gonna get to change anything, revise anything. It's a very, very important step also just purely to get another set of ears on it that's in a better room on a better system that's able to assess what's coming in in a non-judgmental way and be able to objectively just say, okay, this is great, this is ready. I'm going to sweeten a couple things, make it radio ready and loud, quality control it, make sure there's no, you know, ticks, pops, bad fades, things like that, and send it off into the world and make sure that those files or tapes or, in our case, vinyl masters are up to spec and very, very good quality going out into the world. Hmm. And uh, now one thing with a lot of these, you know, reissues and stuff come out and they started in the 90s with like remastering and every now and then kind of recently we've actually got remixed records, which is a much different thing with mastering. You're dealing with a stereo track typically. Yeah. And any adjustments you make are global. 
Yeah. Like you can't isolate like uh, yeah. I, I want to EQ the, 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 the snare a little differently or anything like mm-hmm. that. You're going to basically affect everything, correct? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I mean, you can stem master. That's a thing. But it's definitely not something that's I don't really prefer doing stem mastering because I want I want your mix. I mm-hmm. want to know what you want at the end of the day. And I mean, you get into the like the surround that's coming out now and it's like you're basically stem mastering as a global in an, it, as far as I understand, I haven't dug into it enough, so don't quote me on that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was kind of funny cause like Atmos happened and I went, I'm going to go cut lacquers <laughs> and <Yeah>. like <laughs> go backwards. Um, but yeah, typically you're, you're assessing a whole file or if you're doing a whole album, the entire album in, just stereo wave files and you're making all of those changes globally. So, I mean, we have our tricks, we have mid side, we can kind of dig in a little bit deeper on some things. There's some really cool tools that have come out in the last little bit, just because digital's a thing that have really changed the way that mastering works just period. Um, I mean, for one example, thing that I reach for a lot is not a lot if it needs it, um, is a master rebalance from isotope. And I can literally grab a vocal and poke it out of DB or so and like out of that whole mix. And you have to be careful with it, of course, but like if I need to bump a vocal, super easy. So there's the tools in digital are just, it's come out like crazy. Yeah. One thing with digital recording is that like people don't book like a, a three weeks of studio time as much as they maybe <laughs> once did, yeah. and they, the, the, this leads to mastering question because they're recording this possibly in different studios, but definitely over large periods of time. A lot of what you do has to be making it sound like you know level, almost just the actual level, like from one song to the next to the next. Uh, that's a big part of it, yeah. Yeah, huge. Okay. Um, I mean, sometimes it's super easy and you're like, great, all of these mixes are mixed by maybe the same mixer. Yeah, okay. And everything's already set and done. It kind of has a sonic signature, even though it's been recorded in all these different places or stuff. And, I mean, then those are easy. Because they have that sort of timbre and tonal shape across the board. Whereas, you know, you get a couple different mixers involved, which is great, in my opinion. Um you kind of have to play and sometimes all you can really balance is like a vocal level. You, you kind of want to grab that like most important element and make sure that that's uniform. If you really find that things are out of whack, but that's pretty rare that I I'm at least the stuff that I'm working on most of the time, even if it's coming from a few different angles, usually it's pretty once I've done sort of my processing on my end, things are pretty close to begin with. So and this next question, just kind of give us an overview. Yeah. It doesn't need to get too deep, but uh, is vinyl mastering kind of like your main kind of rule there? Or do you do with mastering for all formats as well? I mean, are you kind of, basically, what, what is your day-to-day kind of like? Sure. So um, typically, I'm, so Bobby Gill is the other mastering engineer. She's the head mastering engineer, and she's awesome. Um, so she's in, in the day, and I go in when she's out, so we share mm-hmm. a room. Um and typically the day-to-day for me is doing all formats. Most of the time I'm cutting, but a lot of the time I'm also doing digital work. So we cover all formats. We can do anything you need and just square it away, take care of it. Um, 
but that's typically the day-to-day is, is mostly okay. cutting, a little bit of admin work here and there. I mean, we all got to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's paperwork involved everywhere. <laughs> and uh, from that point, it's just, you know, doing some digital stuff, squaring away projects. It's fun. Sometimes there's archival involved, which is great. Okay. Um, with vinyl mastering in, uh, in particular, mm-hmm. it's kind of a different animal. And a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about is how, from uh, sure. the, the user end, it feels like it's a bit of a lost art in, in many cases. Like, uh, how much has, like, um, I don't know, technology or, or the digital age helped streamline the process? Because it still seems it's largely a real-time you know, from the, it's a cutting lathe. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. That cuts the record. Uh, I guess I, I really don't have much of a question in that word vomit there. Uh, my, my, a question I could ask you is, can you, while you're cutting the record, uh, maybe describe what a cutting lathe kind of looks like and how it works, but also can you actually monitor it while you're cutting it or do you have to wait until after, you know, to kind of see the quality of the cut? So good question. First, the lathe. So, we have a, uh, God, 1970, it's three or four, um, uh, Neumann VMS-70, I was debating on whether it was yeah. three or four. <laughs> um, so the Neumann VMS-70 was one of the, like, sort of holy grail lathes that came out from Neumann. Um, it's got a really interesting pitch system in it, and, like, it, the way that thing works is so just fascinating but i mean it's a big hunk of metal and essentially there is a platter like your record player that you're putting your master lacquers on and a sled that advances ahead on a feed screw so it will you know it's this big sort of crane arm that holds a box that's a suspension box that then holds the cutter head, which holds. <laughs> I'm trying to how, make how big this, is the, how, this how, like, visually stimulated because this is like. <laughs> is, it, is it a lot bigger than a turntable? The overall piece, I assume. Oh, it's oh like a, yeah. So we, I think our our platter must be 16 inches in diameter. I think we cut on 14 inch lacquers, um, and that gives us a little bit of wiggle room on the outside to calibrate a lacquer and make sure that, like, there's a little bit of different tolerance between okay. how thick the lacquers are. So for us, we'll always go in and check our, like, groove depth and make sure that everything's sort of squared away before we cut down a side. Um, just to make sure that, you know, we don't finish a side and then go, oh, we got to, you know, redo this stuff. But, um, I mean, you see my room. Yeah. It's, what, that lathe is probably... Don't quote me. I'm just going to give you a number. <laughs> Maybe eight feet long. Okay. Like, yeah, it, I, I it, suppose it's we could the wall. Google like, search it's, a picture it's of huge. It too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the thing's huge because it's, it's a lathe, and then you've got um, circuit breakers and like a whole other mm. rack that's your amp, basically. Okay. But, um, to your, to your point of, you know, can I monitor it? I'm monitoring through the cutter head so I can sort of hear what's going on, but that's not an accurate representation of what is actually being cut. Okay. So the other trick is I can't, once I've cut my master lacquer, I can't then play it and listen to it because it damages the lacquer. So once it's cut, 
I will go over with a microscope and check the grooves and make sure that it's, you know, everything looks the way it's supposed to and make sure there's no like, oh, there's a nick in a groove somewhere that I didn't catch or, you know, there's overcuts or crashing grooves, which are like two grooves actually like hitting each other. You can get away with a little bit of rub, but not a lot. You have to be really careful with that kind of tolerance. So, I mean, you get grooves that will just latch on and, and stay together and never end. <laughs> so your mm. stylus will just get stuck in it when you play it back. Um, but we can't play those back. So we have to really check the sides and make sure that everything's looking visually together. And it's funny for me because... I'm legally blind, so like I can never drive. I, I'm like <laughs> the worst for this thing, this situation because it's a lot of visually. But it's one of those things that I've studied so much that I know, and I've found ways that work for me. That mm -hmm. like scope work is perfect because I can sit there and see exactly what's going on. Okay, and you know you catch the light right, you move the disc around, make sure that everything looks squared away. I found my ways and. You know, Bobby has has brought me up to speed on what's like, what's worth it, or not worth it. What's what's um important to look out for, and if you're just looking at a disc, what's a problem? Just visually, those kind of things. Like she's really worked with me well on that. But um, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's such a visual gig. Yet I can't see to begin with. <laughs> so is a test pressing the first time you actually get to hear? Like uh, the quality of of the of not just the 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 vinyl master, but the actual press. Um, the actual press, yes. So we at uh, 1979, we have um, uh, an electroplating facility, which is the second step of vinyl manufacturing. Okay. So you've got um, cutting, and then you've got plating or, or electroplating, electroforming, which is making a metal copy of the master lacquer that I cut, because the Master lacquer will degrade over time. And as it degrades, you lose sound quality. So if your lacquer sit for months or even weeks or days, really, you lose, start to lose that quality. So you can, and you can't really easily ship lacquers without worry of damage. Okay. Because if you like, so a lacquer disc, I should, I should quantify this is, an aluminum disc sheet coated in nitrocellulose lacquer. So super flammable and very, very easy to mark. It's almost like nail polish that isn't cured. Like you could wipe it away with your finger oh. kind of thing. Like it's, or in, in lacquer's case, you can put your finger, just barely rest on it and it will imprint your fingerprint on it. So after you've cut it, you can actually just put a little smooch. <laughs> yeah. So and then I have to do the side. I have to do the side again if that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we try to like almost not breathe over those lacquers because, I mean, you could get spit on the side. It's gross, but like. And is that that <laughs> traditionally? The, so if we go back to like the the golden the the, the golden oh. era of vinyl, it was the oh. same thing. Yep. Okay. That this process almost got like locked in time. It's. There have been, like, technical advancements. Like, we cut from digital all the time. We cut from tape all the time. Yeah. But the the actual physical, like, we're going to cut a master lacquer. Like, there's been 
new pitch systems to say how fast your sled's advancing and like how tightly packed your grooves can be. But there, and I mean, new amps, things like that, but it's all been like sort of replacements of the same technology, if that makes sense. It does. Um, so after that, though, the the process to make the plate, that how does that not? It seems like the lacquer would get damaged pretty easily in that. Is that uh, yes? Okay. Uh, so what happens basically is a ton of cleaning, and then you do what's called silvering, and you'll silver the disc with a just really really fine coat of well silver, and that lacquer then gets put in a bath that has that's charged with a bunch of nickel beads in in the bath. Okay. So it gets dropped in this bath of water with a bunch of charge and chemicals and stuff and you get basically this giant science experiment where it grows a metal part that silver and that nickel laying against each other grows a copy. Okay. So you get what's called a father or a null or there's a bunch of names for that step depending on if you're doing like two step or three step but um, you get from my grooves that you cut you get peaks and then you put that metal part through the process again and you get valleys again. So you can make all of these copies and the valleys off of the father are called a mother and you can actually play that mother back so when I'm if I need to QC something or, you know, a, a test pressing comes back or something comes back from a plant that says, hey, can you check out the mother for this? I can just go upstairs and drop the mother on a turntable and just listen to it like a record. Okay. Excuse me. So that'd be the first time you're actually hearing what the end listener will probably hear. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how, so when you make the plate, like, um, do you, maybe this is maybe something that you don't deal with, but how many like pressings of, uh, uh, can you make off of one set of plate? Like, is it good question? So when you, after the mother, you put it through once more and you get a stamper and stampers are, you know, another peak set, but that gets formed, which is basically made to a template of a, of one of the presses, mm-hmm. um, and then gets shipped off to a pressing plant. So each step can kind of make 10 of itself. So a father can make 10 mothers, each mother can make 10 stampers, and each stamper can do about a thousand records. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of these records, you know, especially new releases nowadays, they're not back in the heyday. So, um, but when we're talking like the 70s where they're mm-hmm. pressing a million copies, they're actually going through uh, hundreds of sets of plates. Oh, yeah. Okay, wow, and those, and that means you might have to do hundreds of of the, the previous steps. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it just kind of like when you think about it, it just quickly becomes this huge like, oh my god, there's like a million of these plates. Like and now, I'm, now I'm getting starting to realize why they cost thirty bucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then of oh. course you've got pressing after that, which is like, there you go. There's there's the actual making of the record, but it's it. It's it seems to me, this is not a bad thing. I would just love more people to sort of know what like plating and, and cutting are. Cause even like I grew up on records and my mom grew up on records. And I mean, my, both my parents are like, you know, we grew up on these things and we never once thought 
Like, how yeah. the hell does this get made? <laughs> like, <laughs> it definitely attracts a certain mind. I think the first time I thought about it was in grade school. I don't know if it was a science project or something that was in the back of a magazine or something, but I remember it was in school. I, I, have you ever done this where you make like a paper cone and then you tape a like a, a sewing needle to the end of uh, like the bottom of it uh -huh. and then you spin the record on yeah. a pencil and throw yeah. that in there? And then I'm like, holy fuck. And then I'm like, fast forward to when I actually heard like a decent setup because, you know, I, I started yeah. listening to my own music, you know, in, in the mid 70s. So most turntable and stereo setups back then sounded like complete shit. I had no idea that there was this whole good speakers, nice yeah. turntable stuff, these records that I that skip don't skip, that kind of and then hearing that and then going how does this how do you, first of all going back to when this stuff was invented, this technology, it's just like it 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 is mind-boggling. And then frankly, what you just walked me through makes me even more like, how the fuck did we ever even get here? I warned you, know, you I was gonna nerd out. Oh no, I <laughs> that was a compliment, by the way. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, exactly what I was looking for. But uh, well, let, let's get a little bit into um, sure. where was I gonna shift to here? Uh, I had a little, I told you I'm gonna kind of bounce around here. <laughs> Oh yeah, so like when you are mastering and you're listening to like the the whatever the, the recording the mix that they give you, so specifically for vinyl, do you, I, I assume you have to listen to it differently, knowing what you're going to be doing with it than like say CD or cassette. Mm -hmm. um, so what what are some of the things that you're listening for that you know you have to do? I know volume is a bigger issue Huge. with vinyl because you can't you, you get the the grooves too big and the needle's just going to bounce around. So. Volume is kind of the the one thing that is it's kind of that one like center point of I like to think about cutting almost like a, it's it's a puzzle piece of different like if this then that yeah so okay. it's not as finite as that but you know you've got we've made solutions over the years for all of these issues through cutting otherwise it just wouldn't work so the the science behind it is crazy and i mean literally to give you enough context this is the only book <laughs> one book right. on About three inches thick there yeah on i think it's 500 or so pages it's it's called basic disc master mastering and i mean it's like the holy grail of just generalized knowledge but yeah. this is a mentor art it really is. I mean, this book, it has so much information in it, and I've read this thing cover to cover so many times, <laughs> but that's how, like, little information there is on this stuff that's just, like, kind of out in the wild. I got I to gotta tell you, Josh, that doesn't seem like that much of a page turner to me. It's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see what happens. You know, the cliffhangers at the end of the chapter. <laughs> Here, here's a patent. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I seriously, uh, I Larry Bowden is like a god among men. So I mean, but, um, <laughs> so what I'm listening for usually is, you know, is there a phase issue? Is there a ton of low end? Is there, you know, a ton of high end? Is there, where is a compromise that I might have to make? Things like that. Um, I, got a, I got a question on something yeah. you just said. So I think uh, the people listening can fit, you know, easily understand the high mm -hmm. end and low end. 
I think you could probably explain phase better than I can because I'm not really sure. To me, I oh know it, it has to do with like the speakers being in time, but yes. So essentially, if you've got a sine wave, which is just you know your your cursory. Uh, for me, I think it was grade eleven math or something. Yeah. You've just got like a, <laughs> a a wave up and down. That basically what happens is if you have the exact inverse of that running at the same time, they will cancel each other out. So you want your speakers to be pumping at the same way. Otherwise, they're going to be, it sounds like you're underwater. Or if they're the exact same signal, nothing at all. So it's an interesting phenomenon for sure, but... When it appears in low frequencies, if there's like low end in the sides or and you'll hear me talk about all of this, like sort of mids and sides when I'm talking about mastering and specifically for for cutting. Um, The biggest thing about cutting is all of these phase issues, because you the, the way a groove works is it will just close or your and by close I mean the the head will literally just lift out of the groove. Yeah, okay. Because it's trying to it's trying to feed the same signal exactly inverted to and cut it which is impossible. So the head will just jump. If that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I ask that because you you just walked us through the whole kind of painstakingly time-consuming steps to get to a record. Before you even make your first cut, you want to feel f- pretty confident that it's going to be a good cut. So that's that's kind of yeah. where I was going with that. And I'll do I'll always do test cuts beforehand. But um, I, I wanted to go back to your level thing because you can cheat level, but it's it's hard. And that and level being sort of the most like compromise that in time because it, it's not a finite rule, but. The amount of time on a side sort of determines how loud the side can be. You can cheat that and there's ways to kind of get around that and get more out of it. But, you know, that that's a that's a pretty quick relation. So the time thing is because if you if you have fewer minutes of music, you can actually make the grooves a little wider and that in turn means louder. Exactly. Okay. So I can make I can make grooves wider, I can cut it louder, and you can actually cut a record too loud. Yeah. And I mean that tends to not happen, but <laughs> <laughs> um I mean you get like, you know, twelve minute thirty-threes and like uh, uh thirty-three and a third for a uh, speed, but I mean sixteen to eighteen minutes is like prime for thirty-three. Okay. So in my opinion at least. But I can cut things loud, I can cut them wide or deep and make sure everything's squared away, sounds great, frequency response is awesome. Those are are awesome for 33s. For 45s, like, I like 10 minutes a lot, but I love shorter sides for 45s because it's the same thing. I can cut it loud, I can cut it Talking like 12-inch 45s? Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, I love those. They're great. And... Even just for sevens, like a good 45 is one of my favorite things to do. Those little sevens, they sound great. I mean, you can whip through a bunch of them real quick. They're cool. 
Now, is the 12-inch, like, 45 kind of, for the audiophile, the, the ideal setup as far as sound? Um, I don't know if it's the ideal setup. I mean, I'm... It's funny, I don't really consider myself like an audiophile. I'm just I'm some mastering guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm still I'm still learning a lot about this process and you know, every day I'll I'll think something and then I'll go in and I'll go, "Oh, no, it's the other way." Or like the amount of study and just work time that goes into this stuff is nuts. I mean, Oh yeah. I haven't been cutting for very long, but you talk to I'll talk to people and friends in the industry that have like helped me a ton and uh, they'll like drop a little seed of something. I'm like, wait, wait, whoa, go back. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they, they just like bypass something super quick. And I'm like, wait, hang on <laughs> like that. That's enough to change my life in that sentence okay. and just like make my life way easier for cutting. So, I mean, it's a, it's a constant learning process. You know, by the way, I kind of uh, glossed over it or skipped past it anyway. But oh. grade eleven is the most con- uh, the, probably the only tip off you've given <laughs> to the listener that you're from Canada. Uh, <laughs> I had that thought crossed my mind when I came out of my mouth. <laughs> not not hear any uh, boots or uh, you know. <laughs> I've been uh, in the south long enough to okay. To- to rid it, but then I talk to my parents and it just like comes out of me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I, being in St. Paul, Minnesota, I, I'm not as far away as I like to pretend I am, but totally. uh, you know, you know, you know how it is. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Don't you know? Anyway, um, I, I hear, how about a, this is one I wasn't sure if I should ask or not because I'm not even sure. It's just kind of something that, that math-wise I found interesting. Um, well, because, you know, we all understand, well, not, I shouldn't say we all. Basically, the outside of the record is actually spinning slower as far as your turntable and needle are considered than the inside, and it gradually gets faster as it gets towards the middle. How much is it, does that factor at all into anything you're doing? Oh, my God. Welcome to the can of worms that are circles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so... I'm going to steal Chris Mara, who who owns uh, 79. His analogy for this is like one of the best ones that I've heard because it just clicked in my brain one day and made nice. total sense. So imagine you are at a parade and there's a marching band, right? Oh, I hate marching band. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> not relevant All right, another to the point. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> not, probably um, not relevant. So... You've got a marching band and they're coming up to a corner. So they all have to stay in their line around a corner. All of the people who are stepping on the outside of the corner are taking a full stride. Yeah. But those people in the very inner of the corner, and as you get to, like from the middle sort of to the, the inside of the corner, are going around that circle doing this like weird stutter step thing. Because they have to stay in their line around the corner, but they can't take a full stride or the line gets broken. So they're doing these little stutter steps around the corner. And that's kind of how it works for grooves. Because you've got more length to a groove on the outside of a record versus the inside of a record. So as you get from the outside to the inside, those grooves get more detailed. and, And, I mean, you can just see it under the scope. It's like nothing and then all of a sudden you start seeing all of this high end and like scaling and things appear that are like you didn't see at the start of the side it's because that groove has to get more detailed as it goes on and with that you get inner groove distortion which is from your tracking angle more than anything but you lose high end as you go into the disc 
because you're starting to try and reproduce all of this detail in groove geometry that it just doesn't the the your um stylus just can't grab it yeah okay uh now why i know in the um in the 70s and 80s the i, I started seeing linear tracking arms how come that never took off wouldn't that seem to aid you know i don't really know because you're talking about the like they just move across like yeah, straight across yeah instead of a pivot point they i I really don't know because for me, I've never listened to one, so I don't really know if there's like a some fatal flaw in there. But like that's how we cut a side, we cut the yeah. sides down laterally, not with an angle or, or whatever. So I mean, like I I saw one of those the other day, and I was like, why don't we do that more? <laughs> like I I don't have enough enough information to make an opinion on that, but like I I'm like constantly thinking about like why did we why did we do the tracking angle versus just like lateral <laughs> kind of tying into what you were talking about on the um from the the actual cutting to production mm -hmm. and so like a, a new artist comes out and makes a thousand records mm -hmm. and they they sell out and they like you know what, let's do another thousand does that whole process from where you started have to be redone or is there like a, a stored you said you can make up to 10 copies but yeah. maybe this is a better example if i'm at, if i'm using a reissue are there like I mean, what 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 do you hold on to for like a second pressing, and when they're doing like a reissue, is there anything from like like if it's a record from the eighties or the seventies, is there anything other than the actual recording that you can use? So, I'm not entirely sure about the like the backlog of stuff because we actually have we have a whole mother library. Okay. So, all of our mothers live in. Like it's it's literally like you go into a library and here's all of these shelves of metal masters since we started. So if a if anybody came back and was like, Hey, we want to do another run, do you still have our mother? Yeah. So it's the mother that they would go back yeah. to ideally. Yeah, before. and make another stamper off the mother. And once the mother was was worn out, then you're kind of starting over? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um well help me out here if you do if you have any knowledge here. Um it is frustrating. Like ten with older records, I trust anything that was pressed from '85 earlier more than a thirty, forty dollar sure. uh, a newer edition. You know, depending on how much of a like it appeals to me as a collector. But if I'm buying it for the sound, I'm probably going to go back to the original one. It might even save a few bucks. Why is it so hit and miss with records now? I know, in like from '85 to basically when vinyl kind of died out in the early '90s. There was more of a push for CD and cassette, and they, you know, I have a, I have a couple records from Kiss uh, that, like, I mean, they got 15 songs, and it's pressed on one piece of vinyl. Obviously, that's going to sound like ass. But <laughs> these new reissues, they'll throw double discs, they'll do all sorts of stuff, and sometimes you'll get one, and, and it doesn't sound good. Also, same kind of question for like a, a newer band is just. Are there steps? It seems to me that there's some quality control steps being missed. I'm not an expert in the field, so I don't know it. But it seems like if someone listened to a test pressing and said, this is no good, or is it some... Can your process be kind of streamlined with, like, maybe not worry about certain things? And does that happen, I guess? I mean, personally, for me, I won't let a side go unless I'm sure it's good. Like, I, I have a really high standard of quality for just myself, period. And I know Bobby does as well. And we we really 
we won't let something go unless there's like, unless it's good. Yeah. Purely. I mean, and a lot of it comes down to the cut. That's, that's a lot of, cause can't ever get better through the process. You can only get worse. And that includes our step as well. Like if you, if we get files in that work great and we do something wrong, it's getting worse. Like, okay. And you know, every stage is adding a little bit of noise. There's all of these different things through the process that are, are, you know, it's hard to pin down like a reason because sometimes they just don't come out great. And that's not throwing anybody under the bus because I mean, they just sometimes shit happens. Like, it, but it could be caught before the actual pressing. It seems like there's there's a couple chances you know that you can listen to it and say this isn't good enough. And what about colored vinyl? Does that have any role in it? It seems like it's better now than it was in the 80s, but I still get some that are like, it's, for me, I see it almost consistently when they say gold or silver. Mm-hmm. First of all, they don't ever come out shiny like that. They're basically just like a, <laughs> uh, a bronzish moosh or a, a gray. But those ones, I don't think I have one that doesn't sound like like ass. I think there's, there's um, uh, I was going to say, I think the reason maybe is because a lot of people were doing reference lacquers back in the day where you'd like you'd get an acetate shipped to you and you'd approve it and then it would go through the process whereas now it's like your your first listen is kind of your test pressing unless you're doing reflex and i mean i'm i'm a huge i i i would do a reference lacquer immediately for anything that i would do okay. just that's that would be my like if you're if you've got the budget and you're a new band that's coming in that wants to do vinyl, do a reference lacquer and make sure that you love it and then put it through the process because it's going to be great. That's that's sort of my like that's the best way to know like here's what you're getting right away. Do you know much about like styluses or needles? Um I I, I the reason I ask is I know some of the, the like the more high end ones. They'll actually have things to add, like like a little the, the sh- shape the sound a little bit. You know, like they'll add a little bass to it or mm-hmm. something like that. Where I kind of want to use for me personally, it seems I want my setup to be where I shape it. Like I want to use my mm-hmm. my EQ settings or whatever sure. bass you know in treble speakers. You get different speakers, that kind of stuff. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you know much about that at all? You know, I've been slowly dipping my toe into a better setup here and because I mean we've got such a great rig at the studio that I'm just kind of like I don't really need it <laughs> here yeah. and like I just want to throw on a record and and it's like it's like being a chef like you're not going to go home after work and like make this like amazing <laughs> whatever that, like I'm, I want to go home put on a record and just not think about it it's, is it, that hard? No. Okay. It's super easy for me. I don't know. I, I, that's just me personally. I think it's really easy to just like drop a record, drop the needle, walk away. Like I, that's, I just like enjoying music. And I mean, I've learned how to turn my critical brain off over the years because you have to. But um, also to your <laughs> color thing, black sounds the best. Yeah. But color can sound good and usually now like everybody's kind of figured it out like it sounds great but yeah. there is some slight difference i can't really speak to the like scientific 
molecule compound of the whatever, but like yeah. <laughs> black seems to be the best one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, the ones that, um, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a, this is not scientific for me either, but it seems like if there's a little translucence to it, you can see through it. Those, uh, they, they feel a little like, I don't know, firmer or harder mm. where some of the solid colors almost have like a, and again, Interesting. a softness, mushiness to it. But I'm, I'm really over describing it, it, anything. I just know that those always seem to be the ones I don't like the sound on. So I have seen a, like a huge influx of translucent coming out lately. Yeah. I take it I got you at home. Are, are you, what yeah. kind of turntable do you use? Uh-oh. I'm about to be outed. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't, don't feel bad. I, um, I, I can give you the name of mine, not the model. So um. I have a, one of the earlier Audio-Technica um, LP120s. Oh, um, yeah. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it for me, it plays 78s, which I... That's the thing that I love that's been, like, keeping me away. I have an upgraded stylist on it and the whole deal, but... Um, that's been the thing that's been keeping me away from like going anywhere else because I haven't found a good quality turntable that's not like a million dollars that plays seventy eights. <laughs> I've told this story before on um, on the show, so I, I, my apologies to the listeners, but I'll share with you. There's a a place here locally that sells turntables called the Needle Doctor. They're sort of famous. I know they do a lot of uh, a good they name. do a lot of web sales too. <laughs> Um, but I, I bought my turntable there, the most recent one anyway. I, the, prior to that, I had a, a fucking Mitsubishi from that I got in high school. But uh, <laughs> it, hey, look, it sounded fine. That's all I worried about. But so yeah, the, I got an Audio Technica, one of the newer ones, I, um, around three hundred bucks, uh, which I think that's budgetary where you, you the zone. I, in my opinion, that you, you need to be in. But they have ones there that are like 27,000, you know, and like the yeah. tone arm is like eight grand. Yeah. It doesn't come with the tone arm. You know what I mean? And so I, 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 I asked him to throw a record on just so I, and I'm like, I don't, I'm not hearing that, you know, if it, if this is 30,000 minus 300, I don't hear $29,700 improvement inside. Like it's not in fucking great, but you know, it's got a little pump in a different room, sucking the record down. Yeah, all yeah. stuff. <laughs> and that's that actually for, um, Something that a lot of people don't, you mentioned suction. Um, we have to, I'm, I'm going way back now. Yeah, that's um, all right. On our lathe, the platter has a bunch of holes on it and a vacuum tube that goes down to the center pin. So th that lacquer actually gets sucked down to oh, the platter. To hold it firm while exactly. you're cutting. And <laughs> nitrocellulose lacquer. Super flammable, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that. So, um, can you, you get... stow it in your overhead compartment, or do you have to check that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't know. The TSA would let that through. <laughs> <laughs> it's a record, I swear. <laughs> um, so we uh, we have to be really weary of chip fires. So there's a little vacuum tube that sits under the cutter head as well that pulls away what was the lacquer that's coming out of the groove. I never even thought about that, because as you're cutting it, you're actually removing lacquer. Exactly. So that chip is, is or swarf or whatever, there's a couple names for it, but um, it gets sucked away, and if it doesn't, or there's a problem in the suction or anything, the stylus is being cooled and heated at the same time, plus friction, right? So it's creating heat. So if you get a ball of that nitrocellulose lacquer under the stylus, 
or gut getting up into a heating wire or something like that, chip fire. Like immediately, okay. it's just a flare. And you have to be really careful with that. But I mean, I feel like every like mastering facility that has a lathe one time or another has just like emptied the chip jar. We're going outside to have a fire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Really? Oh yeah. It's, it's uh. crazy that it like combusts immediately. Uh. Like you can have a pile of the stuff that's, you know, massive and take it outside and just like touch it with some fire. And it's just like, like a little mini bomb goes off like it's wow. it's it just disappears could you sprinkle it like over your charcoal to help accelerate the probably the, yeah there might be a little <laughs> toxic but i mean we could try it <laughs> don't eat the burger but uh, yeah. <laughs> it looks great just don't eat it <laughs> well one thing i wanted to mention is um because we when uh, i'll put a record on it especially newer issues if if i don't if I'm not pleased with the sound, I immediately start worrying that maybe my needle's going bad or something, sure. you know, something uh, not related to the actual pressing. My palate cleanser is uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, one of the, the pressings oh. from the 70s. It is one of the best sounding it records. And, and I, 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 it almost always resets everything in my brain for me. It's, the, it's just the record you put on there. It's nothing else. Do you have like any go-to albums like, that you think they just sound fantastic? Um, Whether you like the music or not, just the pressing and the, the oral experience, I guess. Hang on. A-U-R-A-L oral. I got three. <laughs> nice. So... Three records. One of them is one that I cut. Um, just it just came out so beautifully, and I just will always throw that on because I love it. Um, first one is that one. It's it's by a band called Beacons. Or sorry, Beacon, and it's along the levee. Mm. It's actually colored as well, and it sounds amazing. So they did two colors. They did like a translucent and like an oxblood, which is really rad. <laughs> yeah, I love the translucent for whatever reason. Just the the clear vinyl is is yeah. probably my favorite if if it's not black. Um, this was I think this was Jay Laporta at Sterling mastered this, so it sounded great. It came in perfectly. Everything was really great. Um, the Bad Brains reissue that um, Nick Townsend cut is awesome. <laughs> I love this record so much. I love the record to begin with, but but that record just is sounds great. And one of the first records that I like ever owned myself in college when I was like really getting into like who cut the thing, who did the whatever, like is um oh my god, what album is this? It's Weezer's whatever album this is. Uh okay, Human. Um, I can never remember this cover because it's, yeah. nice. but, uh, Pete Lyman cut it and mastered it and it just sounds great. I mean, this was like my, I had reference mixes come off of this record. I had like everything that, that record is just awesome. And I mean, Nick and Pete are some top tier cutters and really, really good mastering engineers. So. To be expected. <laughs> Very good. So there is some that, uh, that kind of give you that, that kind of, the the bad brain brains one's a little uh 
uh, I don't know if shocking is the right word, you know, because that's such aggressive music. But you're, you're telling me that because uh, what I like about that Fleetwood Mac is it's so airy. Sure. And you hear every instrument and uh, mm-hmm. and it's not my um, well, I mean, I have a pretty uh, broad palette of music, but, you know, my go to is hard rock, metal, punk, sure. threat, whatever, just guitars loud, that kind of thing. But, <laughs> Guitar is loud, great. I love it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> if I have a zone, it's that. Yeah. But uh, um, I recently did a, a video for our YouTube channel where um, uh, the the uh, a Kiss re- remastered or did a deluxe edition of a, a 40th anniversary of a record called Creatures of the Night, and they did a half speed master, a, a remaster on vinyl for this recent one. But they also remastered it for CD in '97. They remastered the record itself, trying to give it some more steam in '85, and then the original. So I actually. Did a AB comparison all oh, the way neat. through. Um, my question is more for the half speed mastering. When I got to the comparison of the two recent pressings on vinyl, one half speed, one not, I heard almost no difference. <laughs> um, what is half speed mastering, and it, is it a big deal? So that's the mystery for me as well, um, because we don't we don't cut half speed. So. I'm always very interested to know because I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. I, I love, I am a creature of habit and learning like crazy. Like I, I love this stuff so much that, I mean, the information that I've gathered is huge, but you know, it might be wrong in some aspects. Yeah. So I'm always looking to, to learn more and correct that and like figure out what more I can gather. But Half speed is the one thing that I, I just really don't have a whole lot of information on, but it, I can tell you what it is, but it's essentially running instead of cutting at, um, your regular, like 45 or 33, you're cutting at half that speed. So the platter is spinning at half that speed, um, but the and master tape then is also spinning at half speed, right? This is the thing is like, that's as far as my knowledge goes with half speed. Okay. And it seemed like they'd have to sync up because it's all think, done in right? analog. Yeah. Not only... oh. I don't know, man. It's it's that's something that like, you know, I feel like I should know more information about <laughs> it, but we just aren't doing it. So I don't I I and I, I can't of course find a whole lot of information on it to begin with, but Yeah. So yeah, it, it almost does seem. I, um, I will admit, I I do not have enough information on that one. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, you you've had plenty of information, so I'm not too concerned with that. It, I, I guess I was just curious because to me it feels like it's more of a almost like a marketing angle for the collector. Um, it, it sucked Maybe. me in because you know that that's an artist that I do collect. So a lot of times I'll buy things with with no intention of caring how much it's the sound quality, sure. but they would be one of those artists. But yeah. Surprisingly, their their vinyl reissues that they started uh, sound pretty good. So kudos to them. They they've definitely uh, let their fans down more than once. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that the thing that I can I can think of is you're just getting more groove detail because your platter's spinning at half the speed, so you can get a little bit more detail in the groove. Yeah. But that's the only thing that I can really think about. I'm just wondering what kind of setup you would need to really appreciate the enhancements that it can give sure you know you know mm-hmm. so like it like the one thing with with cd i think that that kind of give gives it a bad rap is that for a fairly small investment you can have a pretty quality sounding setup and vinyl's not really that way i think you're and look a lot of people you know and this maybe this is a question for you does this frustrate you a little bit because a lot of people that that are getting into vinyl aren't really spending the money to 
uh, get a proper setup. So you, you're doing all this work to make it sound great for someone to put it on a $100 platter playing through Bluetooth speakers. I mean, for me, I, I actually am not super tweaky about that. I, I'm tweaky about a lot of things, but that's actually not one of them, surprisingly. Okay. I just really love the fact that vinyl has come back and that that physical format is a thing. Like, I want so badly for listening parties to come back again where you, like... I mean, back in the day, that's how you shared records. You went to parties yeah. and, like, you brought a record and your friends brought a record and you had a couple drinks and, like, put on records and that's what you did. Like, you actively listened to these records instead of just like ah next on spotify or like not really paying attention to what's playing like that was a thing you went you talked about the record you listened to the record and you enjoyed it and that's how you discovered music and i want that to come back yeah i'm with you there i i recently said on a, on a podcast i think one of the great things vinyl does is it resets your brain a little bit mm-hmm. where um even cd would get so long you would you might drift off that's why you know i, I talked to so many people that like even their favorite cds they like the front end of it i think we start to just kind of drift away a little bit mm-hmm. with vinyl you got to go pick the thing up and flip it over yep. and uh it kind of gives you a chance to to reset a little bit so and, often and, uh, when i'm doing um emails or something in the morning like i'll just throw a record on and and that's my like it, i'm passively listening to it but it's you're right it's the act of like okay, oh i gotta go like flip it over and like i don't know there's something about it that's kind of therapeutic almost yeah uh, it's very ritualistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. <laughs> the weird thing is, just growing up, it was just how you listen to music. You never thought about it, yeah. but like when it, when it was gone for twenty years, it's like, like fuck. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm, I had my turntable in the basement for a decade, and then I was like, I have all these records. Why don't I just start yeah. listening to them? But this is kind of going back a little bit. But sure. it was one thing I definitely wanted to talk on. Well, we're, we're, hey, records are circular. The conversation can be circular, right? Um, uh, compression is something that seems. It can be divisive when I talk to anybody from just a sound engineer for a band or uh, someone in the recording studio. Some people love it. Some people, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think if it's used right, it's okay. But it's definitely doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like a friend to vinyl. Um, I mean, it is and it isn't. It depends on limiting is not a friend to vinyl. Okay. Because limiting is your... I mean, sometimes you'll get a, a, a file in that's just like a total brick wall and that's not fun to cut because you're essentially cutting a square wave. So yeah. there's not, <laughs> there's no like, there's no give. So that's, that's another one of those things that we have to think about and that, that's a little bit compromising because you're going to, you're going to run into the wall literally with, you know, I can't reproduce an exact square on the top end, you know? Is there much you can do at your stage with something that's that? Not really. It's kind of level. And again, it's the, here's the phase issues. Here's the level. Here's the, it's just grabbing those different compromises and kind of playing with them to see what you can do. Okay. What about this? Uh, How involved typically are artists at your stage? It depends on the artist. Some people are, are really like, I want to be involved. I want to be there when you cut it. I want to be around. Like we're going from the master tapes. Like we've done completely analog all the way through or just here's the files. Just cut the record. <laughs> like yeah. it, it really depends on the artist and, and depends on 
you know, how involved they want to be or how hands off they want to be. Some people just are like, Hey, physical release. Great. And some people are like, this is like my opus. And I think that's great. <laughs> Either way is great. Like, so it doesn't, it doesn't bother you if they do they actually come down during the process or yeah, is it sometimes. more of a, a, uh, like a conversation you have ahead of time? I mean, like we'll always talk about it and like schedule a time and do it. But like, I personally love being like having those sessions where people are like hanging around a little bit and, get to see the process because i mean not a lot of people get to do it like friends come in town and they're like totally blown away by the process and i mean <laughs> i if i was an artist and i i mean i'm a i am a nerd to begin with but like if i was an artist i would want to be there and watch my yeah. master lacquer get cut like that's so neat so i mean yeah i i, I realize you haven't heard of me but i've been through all that stuff you would have to kick me out um, I, like, I was involved in every step when we first went to the recording studio, the first three records we did, I was there for every mix, every minute, everybody's part that they recorded. I just, I enjoyed it for one thing, but I also, you know, I was part of the creation. So I get that sense. I also have worked with so many musicians that they don't share that same I don't so know, you passion. and I would get along a lot because I, I yeah, we'll love, be so sure. <laughs> I, I love, as you've already can tell, I'm sure yeah. I love talking about this stuff. I love digging in. I love just sharing and learning and everything. Cause it, I mean, it's, I've been really, really lucky to have a lot of mentors along my career and a lot of people who have just like given me knowledge, given me a lot of help. Um, and people who have like basically brought me up in this industry and just helped and shared and, and taken the time. So, I mean, I am always happy, even if it's like Joe blow down the street. Hey, I heard you like cut vinyl. Can you talk about like, I will sit down <laughs> with you and talk to you about this for hours. Like I, I love this stuff so much. And I mean, I love it when artists come in and they're interested and they want to know and they want to be a part of it. So, I mean, I doubt you could annoy me. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the challenge accepted. No, I, I, I could promise I could, but no, no, I, 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 they would, I would definitely like just be really, I'd, th th if I annoyed you, just because I would have nonstop questions about everything you were doing, and, and oh, at, at a certain I'm point, it'd it. be like, just let me do my job, oh, bro. Oh, I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into it. Well, let's talk about the Welcome to 1979. Uh, I, I understand basically the the um, it's a studio kind of built on the idea of like using old technology, uh, and and well, I'll let you kind of describe it. You you work there, so yeah. So um, the studio in general, so it's a uh, mastering facility a recording studio, a electroplating facility and a tape machine tape machine restoration company all under one roof. Um so it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But essentially the idea is bringing old with the new. I like to kind of think about it like, you know, we've got all of this great analog gear and great knowledge to be able to use it and archive and record and cut and everything. But we're also not afraid of advancement and able to like, you know, we've got a kick-ass Pro Tools rig. I mean, the mastering room is dialed to the nines with like digital stuff and we're able to cut from those and, and take care of everything there. I mean, I love it because it's super homey and feels like, traditional way of recording but also still like 
hey, we've got Pro Tools and everything's great. Yeah. Like, I, I love it. It's it's everything you could want it personally as like a producer or an artist or anything. Like, it's got both sides of the coin. So, mm. Have you worked on any like uh, major reissues, any big records that we would know? Um, I reissued. So here's a really, really weird one. Um, that was probably one of my favorite reissues was, I mean, you know, we've done, um, a couple cold train records we've done. Um, we just did, Bobby just did Par Paramore's new album that just came out. Um, I'm trying to think what else I reissued, uh, one of the high on fire records. Mm, nice. Um, there's a bunch that have come through, but um, one of my favorites is probably one of the smaller ones. And so there is this really, really niche psych rock band called Marble Frog that I had never heard of until the project came in. And I looked on Discogs. I, I like to research the projects that come yeah. in sometimes. If they're just a reissue, I'm like, where'd this come from? Who's this? Like, what are we doing? Well, the original pressings were going for like... 900 to a thousand dollars and i was like what is this record so it's like total garage rock psych band like it sounds like it's like one or two mics in a garage literally okay and it's some of the best classic rock covers i've ever heard like it, the dude sounds exactly like the singer from the doors like half the time it's nuts wow and that reissue is still one of my favorite ones. It was, it was, a what hard was the name cut. of the band? Marble Frog. Okay. It was a really hard cut and I had to spend a lot of time just to get it right. But like that, oh man, that record is so wild. Wow. Have you, I assume, because you, you're dealing with a lot of different genres of music, uh, there has to be times where a record comes in that no matter what you're going to do, it's going to sound like shit. Uh, is that, <laughs> does that make the process harder to, to stay focused or I don't know? Uh, not really for me. I mean, I, I'm not like a mixer to begin with. So I'm never really looking at, I'm always thinking objectively rather than subjectively, if that makes sense. So I'm always like, yeah. you know, not every record's going to sound the best ever, or like here's Steely Dan, like well, it could be recorded clear. poorly. You know what I mean? I mean? Yeah, like who knows? And you know, it's gotten to me at this point. So if it's something I'm mastering, like I'm never gonna be like, "Hey, your mix is bad." Like, I, if the mix oh is yeah, no, I mean more like, like when you're in the moment, like ah, God, <laughs> what I mean, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> it's really, I'll tell you this much: it's really, really hard to complain when you get to listen to records all day and yeah, work okay. on music all day and hear like eight different genres in one day, and you're like bouncing around like crazy. Like that was one of the. I fell into mastering by accident, but when I realized what it was, it just grabbed me per like perfectly. Cause it takes the creative side of my brain and the technical side of my brain and marries them in this like perfect harmony. Yeah. And that alone is enough for me. But I also get to listen to like eight different records in the same day. Sign me up. Like I'm in. <laughs> That's a good way to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Josh, I really enjoyed this. Um, I think we've taken up enough of your time, but uh, I'll tell you, I'm going to be in Nashville in March. I it's kind of in and out. I would love to swing by and check out the studio, but Absolutely. I don't know if it's going to in the. Are you guys around Sundays? Yeah, I can be around. I'm easy. All right, I'll let you know. I, I it's really jam packed. I'm flying in Friday morning. It's basically for a a, a podcast convention, believe it or not, <laughs> and right. uh, I. F- fly in Friday morning. I got basically Friday, Saturday, jam-packed with a little time on Sunday. So I don't know. I'll check it out and I'll definitely shoot you a message if we can set something up. That'd be amazing. Um, But anything else you want to plug? Anything uh, that you can do? You've been super informative and this has been just a blast. Um, Nothing to plug other than the studio, really. I mean, it's been really rad to... I've been at the studio a little over a year now and it's been like nothing but great for me. I... I love that place. Like it's my second home truly. <laughs> and, and nice. I mean, Chris and Yoli have given me every ounce of patience with my vision and, and really opened the doors for me to be able to like, you know, just do the thing that I've been wanting to do for years. Like I studied this stuff for, I've been mastering for seven or eight years now. And this specifically has been the thing that I've been wanting to do. I've been wanting to get into cutting forever and walking into that position and being able to have like somebody to have the patience with me to be able to be like, all right, I get it. You can't see. Doesn't matter. You'll figure it out. And being and having to like have that patience with me and being able to be like, keep doing it. Like just, you got it. And plus you're Canadian, so it's almost like uh, a second <laughs> to the handicap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, your football's weird. <laughs> hey, uh, hockey rules though. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's been okay. nothing but amazing. But um uh, hey, you know what, you've been patient with me uh Two cheap shots at Canada. I, I appreciate Hit me. it. Hit me. <laughs> no, no, no. no I, I, that's all I've given oh, you. Oh, no, that I, was it. Come on. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. No. Uh, but. but yeah, that's uh, the you know the studio and and the it's great. The people are great. The work is awesome. I I just I love it. It's great. <laughs> Very cool, man. Well, thanks again for all your time and uh, sharing Thank all you. this stuff. Uh, I guarantee you people are going to enjoy it. So um, I was looking forward to it. I've never really done something like this where I kind of just did a deep dive on well, some... Because I don't know a lot about it, and uh, well, I know a lot more now anyway. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me nerd out. And I mean, I'm just happy to share records and, and get people involved. Do you have a great day, man. You as well. Thanks for this. This was a lot of fun.
I don't doubt it. What do you? Uh, so my last name is Bach, and I get bacon and bacon a lot. What does Sebeck get pronounced? I, I suppose Sebeck. Yeah, Sebeck is the most common one. I've gotten uh, like Sebeck. There's Sebeek I've gotten before, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know how you got there, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a slew of them, and the spellings are even better because people know the name. Oh, gotcha. And then they spell it like S E A B E C K. <laughs> it's C-back. like.